What's up, podcast? Welcome back to the Public Speaker Podcast with another episode of Speech Analysis. So in today's speech analysis, we're reviewing a speech about microbiomes from someone at a Caltech conference. Um, now, I think the speech was pretty cool, but I was not a fan of the content of it um, in terms of how it was communicated. So I'll let you guys hear my thoughts and my constructive criticism when you get into the speech. But generally, I thought that this felt like a science lecture versus a public speech. And the main thing to take away from this is if you're ever going to present something that is a complicated thing towards most people, we're talking about STEM, we're talking about computer science, we're talking about physics and science, and we're talking about the really amazing things we have in this world to talk about, but very complex things, the way to present that is to simplify it. And it, and it maybe that's a, that's a hard thing to do in some po- moments because some things can't be simplified, but you have to be able to make an analogies or metaphors or, or some type of analysis that gets a room full of people who have not heard anything about your field to understand what you're talking about. And the problem with this speech is I felt like there were too many big words and not saying that big words are bad, but what I mean is there's too many scientific terms that aren't simplified for the end user to be able, or for the end consumer, right, for the person listening to be able to really understand what was said. At least I wanted to fall asleep because, you know, I hate lectures and, like, this kind of felt like a lecture. So speech wasn't horrible. I think it was a, you know, good thing. Granted, it's a Caltech conference, so maybe everyone in the conference knows all the stuff that they're talking about. But in terms of general communication, things to take away is make sure you simplify your message and use the terminology effectively, but also make sure it's understandable to the people who are listening, because those are the people that actually matter, right? You can do all the research in the world. If you can't communicate it, it's not going to be that meaningful. So thank you guys for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoy, and I'll see you on the next episode of Speech Analysis. Enjoy. So it never ceases to amaze me that each of us carries around a three-pound mass of cells in our heads that controls literally everything we do. Importantly, though, the brain doesn't act in isolation from the body, but rather it responds to the needs and experiences of each of our organ systems. Cool. So let's talk a little bit about that introduction. Um, There were two things that were done there that I I primarily like. The one was the fact that she stated in the beginning, or like her opinion, which is kind of a fact, which is that it's a three-pound brain that controls and dictates literally every action that humans do. Stating that very bluntly is a good way to hook your audience's attention because now the audience, including me, was just like, huh, that is pretty amazing that, that there is this thing in my head that literally dictates the essence of my being, of my existence. Um, so she didn't need to like ask the audience a question or tell a story or or like make some fancy metaphors. She kind of just said exactly what she needed to say by being very blunt about it and then allowed the, the intricacy of the fact or the impact of the fact to sit with the audience to then be able to get into what she wanted to talk about. And then after that, she started introducing a problem, which is that most people think the brain is isolated from the body, whereas the brain is actually symbiotic with the body. It, it reacts and responds to the needs of the body, which is probably going to frame the rest of the speech that she's trying to present and the message that she's going to be talking about. Now, here's a staggering statistic that some of you may have heard before. Our bodies are comprised of 10 times more microbial cells than our own human eukaryotic cells. These microbes, which are primarily bacteria, but also viruses and protozoa, they're part of our normal flora, and they make up what's called the commensal microbiome. In the intestines, there are 100 trillion.
billion of these bugs, reflecting over 10,000 unique species and contributing 150 times more genes than our own human genomes. It's even estimated that collectively, these microbes would weigh two to six pounds, which is up to twice the weight of an average adult human brain. <laughs> more and more, we're learning that these commensal microbes that make up us have co-evolved to play fundamental roles in normal brain development and function. So we can study the role of commensal microbes by raising mice as completely germ-free and recolonizing them with whichever microbes are of interest. And by these types of studies, we're learning that commensal microbes regulate several complex behaviors, like anxiety, learning and memory, appetite and satiety, among lots of other behaviors. So you can see now that by studying this microbrain interaction, we can learn really important lessons about how microbes can contribute or affect our brain health and disease. So you might be wondering, how in the world does a microbe that lives in your gut affect your brain? And there are many different mechanisms. One way is by activating the vagus nerve. So the vagus nerve contacts the gut lining and extends all the way up to the brainstem itself. And this is a mechanism by which the bacterium called lactobacillus rhamnosus affects depressive-like behavior in mice. So in a task that measures depression-related despair, mice that have been treated with this bug exhibit less depression-like symptoms. And this is not... Okay, um, so this is interesting so far. One comment I have is that I don't know if it's necessary to say the name of all these bacteria. And I'm saying it from a public speaking perspective, right? Like, like given, given my experience with coaching people and like sort of being able to formulate arguments, I don't know what's the need to be able to like say all these big ass words that I don't care about, to be honest. I don't know if anyone else cares about them. Like, I think the way to make this a little bit more impactful and like fun for me to listen to, because right now it sounds like I'm hearing a lecture, to be honest. And that's not me like shitting on the speech. That's just me kind of saying like, it, it's just, it's a little much for someone who's not really into this, like super into this type of sciencey world. Um, I think you would want to give these names uh, an analogy, right? So if you're saying that this thing tells the brain what to do, maybe say something that's similar as like, this is the messenger, or this is, or think of it like this, think of it like a mailman or something like that to make it more simplified. Yeah, so I, I don't know why you would want to say these huge names and sort of like get into all these details for an audience and for people that don't might not really relate to it. So right now, I would think that this would be a way better public speech if, if a lot of this complicated information was not said to me as if I'm in a lecture, but rather broken down simply and like made with metaphors to be able to be explained to a general audience. Um, but let's see where the speech goes from here. Not seen if the vagus nerve is severed. Another way by which microbes can affect the brain is by activation of the immune system. So about 80% of the body's immune cells reside in the gut, and immune abnormalities contribute to several neurological disorders. And this is one mechanism by which the bacterium Bacteroides fragilis prevents a mouse version of multiple sclerosis. So mice that have been treated with this bug are more resistant to the disease. Yeah, so even like this visual aid is not something I'm a fan of. There's like this whole uh, sort of picture of how 
the vagus nerve is interacting with the brain. And then on the side, there's this very complicated graph that, that you're not just going to understand straight by looking at it that isn't like blown up or big, but it's just in the corner of the other part of the visual aid. Uh, maybe it's just me, but again, this is, you know, my thoughts and my opinions. And in my thought, in my opinion, I don't think this is a proper or like good visual aid to actually get like an audience's attention. As shown with by the, uh, the red line in this graph. And this depends on the activity of a special subset of immune cells called regulatory T cells that expresses the marker CD25. So if we block the activity of this immune cell, then the beneficial effects of the bugs are prevented. Another way by which bugs can affect the brain is by activating the gut endocrine system. So gut endocrine cells are primary producers of neuropeptides and neurotransmitters. Gut microbes themselves can also produce metabolites that could affect brain function. And this is one pathway that we think is involved in the microbe-based treatment that we in the um, Patterson and Masmanian labs here at Caltech have used to treat autism-like symptoms in mice. So by treating mice with um, this bacterium, Bacteroides fragilis, we're able to correct core abnormalities, um, such as the communication deficit that's depicted here. That's a hallmark symptom or diagnostic um, symptom of autism. So here, mice that are autistic-like display less communication, as depicted by the blue bar. And treating them with the bug uh, corrects this effect, as shown by the red bar. So I think that the implications of these discoveries is huge. because. OK, so now we're going to get into sort of uh, what the, the larger purpose of this speech and of the messages. Now, the, the problem that I've had with the speech so far is she's named three different examples that were said as if I'm literally taking notes in an essay class. And maybe that's just me and, you know, maybe I'm being hard on the speech, but like, I don't really care. That's just how I feel. Um, I think it could have been communicated in a different way that wouldn't have been so like, here's the third example and this is the correlation, blah, 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 blah. I think it could have just been simplified and like, it didn't have to be as complicated as it sounded, at least towards me. Um, granted, this is at the Caltech conference, so maybe the audience knows a lot of this stuff, which is totally fine, but I'm just not interested in this public speech, right? I'm not interested in the mind-altering microbes on how the microbiome affects the brain. And for me to get interested, I think it needs to be communicated in a way that actually captivates my attention. And this is the problem with a lot of things in the STEM world. And, you know, I love STEM. I'm not against that world at all. I think it's important for innovations and changes in our society. But a lot of times the data that they do, the research that they conduct, just isn't effectively communicated to the general public, which is why people are like not interested to like care about that stuff, which people should be interested to care about that stuff. So if I was coaching this or if I was changing this, I definitely would make some alterations towards how the information was being presented. What if we could, without a single invasive procedure, treat disorders like autism, depression, and multiple sclerosis? Micro-based therapeutics might offer a way to build a stable community structure that can impart long-lasting effects without the need for a continuous treatment. Also, since microbes are relatively easy to manipulate and even eliminate, they can be readily modified for better functioning, regulatory control, targeting, and even delivery. 
So as a take-home message, I want you to remember that not only are we made up of mainly microbial cells, but that some of these cells can be truly mind-altering, affecting our brain development, function, and even our behavior. And also, in light of several studies showing important roles of commensal microbes in a variety of biological processes, from nutrition and immunity to now brain and behavior, consider all the things that we do on a day-to-day -day basis <laughs> to change or disrupt our microbiome, and how this might affect our health and predisposition to disease. Thank you. Okay, so that was mind-altering microbes, how the microbiome affects the brain and behavior. That visual aid at the end was pretty funny with the baby kissing the pigs. That was, like, ridiculous. <laughs> um, overall, I thought the speech was good. Again, just me, I would have communicated a little bit differently. I, like, I, I felt myself falling asleep in, in the meat of the speech, which is the part I'm supposed to care about. And then the implication at the end is sort of just, like, maybe this is a way we can solve things, but even that, I would make it, like, more exciting, more, like, optimistic about the different ideas and solutions we found and potential frameworks and foundations that we've discovered to be able to launch us into a new world of discovery. Like maybe just something more impactful that gets me excited about this issue, about the relationship between microbes and the microbiome, um, but also the general communication in the meat of the speech, which was from like minutes one towards minutes uh, five, towards being able to understand how the science part of it actually makes sense. Um, I thought all the content that was presented was correct, right, and like good content. To me, it just needed to be communicated in a way that actually got me to care about it, um, which is a general problem I see in, in, in big data and tech and STEM in a lot of different places. But those are my thoughts. Those are my concerns. Leave your thoughts and comments in the opinions. We can chat about it.